Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Whatever it takes, basically, cut your hand off, pluck out your eye, cut off your foot. And some people through church history took that literally. I don't think that's literal, but that's another message for another time. But the consequence of stumbling, Jesus says, is that somebody would go to hell. And a characteristic of hell that Jesus gives there is that it's a fire that never shall be quenched. Okay, that's the same Greek word that Paul uses here in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 for quench not the spirit. And so the fire of hell is a fire that cannot be extinguished. It's a fire that cannot be put out. And Paul uses this same Greek word here, it quenched not the spirit. This isn't Greek, this is English, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek from which we get our English translations. But a couple of things about, about this imagery. Number one is Paul is clearly using the imagery of fire to portray the working of the spirit. And this shouldn't come as a surprise because throughout the New Testament, the work of the spirit is sometimes portrayed as fire, as a flame, sometimes like wind, sometimes other, other metaphors and imagery, but it also, the f- fire and flame are used. For example, in Acts chapter 2, whenever, you know, the, the cloven tongues, it says that they were, do you remember this? Like as a fire, right? Like as a fire. And so fire, if you, if you look at different books that are written about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times, not all, always, but sometimes there will be a picture of a flame or a picture of fire on the front of the cover. Well, why is that? That's because in the New Testament, fire is used as a symbol to represent the working of the Spirit. So that's, the, that's clear that Paul is using that imagery here. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let it be extinguished. But second, contrary to the fire that cannot be extinguished, okay, the fire of hell that Jesus talked about in Mark 9, the fire of the Spirit is a fire that can be extinguished. It is a fire that can go out. Because that's why Paul gives the warning. If it was impossible for the fire of the Spirit burning in our hearts to never go out, that it was just inevitable, that it would keep burning, Paul would never have to say, quench not the Spirit. But he gives us this command Because the fire that occurs in our life through the working of the Spirit is a fire that can be extinguished. And Paul warns the Thessalonian Christians here, and he warns us here tonight, that we need to make sure we keep the embers burning in our heart. Okay, And so as I said, it applies to us. He he was writing to Thessalonian believers there in the first century, but I believe it applies to us. And it is possible, and it's a warning to us, and it's a challenge that we must make sure that the fire is not quenched in our hearts, that we must do everything we can to avoid that tragic possibility. We must preserve the flames in ourselves individually, but how many knows also in the church that we're a part of? We must do everything we can to make sure the fire is burning in our heart. Let's look first at the meaning of this this phrase, the meaning of the fire. What is Paul meaning specifically when he says, quench not the Spirit? Because you probably know this. The working of the Spirit is broad. There's a lot of avenues that the Spirit works in sanctification, even in salvation. 
But the Spirit, you know, has a broad ministry. But is there a specific thing that Paul Paul is, you know, saying here when he says, quench not the Spirit? And I think that there is a specific aspect of the Spirit's ministry. I think, well, well, I'll say this. Paul is referring to something specific when he says, quench not the Spirit, as I'll try to show briefly. But we shouldn't limit it to that. And hopefully I can explain it in just a second. What Paul is referring to specifically when he says, quench not the Spirit, is he's referring to the supernatural work of the Spirit. Okay, He's talking about the the supernatural work of the Spirit. A couple uh, uh, authorities, this is the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, says Paul is warning against a deliberate suppression of the extraordinary operations of the Spirit in the congregation. Another commentator said this prohibition, when he says, quench not the Spirit, involves the manifestations of the Spirit in the lives of individuals and the community. Okay, so the Spirit has a broad word, but when Paul, and I'll show this from the text, whenever Paul says, quench not the Spirit, he is referring to the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. Now, how do I know that that's the primary meaning of what Paul is talking about? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. Whenever you study a verse, whenever you study of the Bible, you shouldn't just read one verse of Scripture in isolation from the rest of, of the passage. Okay, And so whenever you read Quench Not the Spirit, it's not like this is a random verse that dropped down from heaven on golden tablets and we read it and like, oh, good, you know, now we're ready to go. But Paul is writing in a passage here. And if you read the very next verse, Paul says, he says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings or prophetic utterances. Okay, And so Paul is just telling us, what the, that's the context. When he says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophetic utterances. He's telling us the working of the spirit. That's what he's talking about specifically. Now, when he says, despise not prophecy... What that word there means is to, to despise something and to view it as worthless or of no value. And so Paul is saying that we should not view prophetic utterances with contempt, with disdain, with, with you know, disparaging. And so Paul is saying that about prophecy. He says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophetic utterances. But I don't think Paul is just limiting it to prophecy. Because if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, all the gifts of the Spirit are, are together. And so you have tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all those supernatural gifts that we, we, we read there. And so Paul is telling us that we should not view the supernatural working of the Spirit with disdain. We should not view it as worthless. We should not view it as if it is of no value. On the contrary, we should view it as it is designed by God for the glory of his name and for the building up of the church. Now, Paul says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? You know, you might, you might ask that question. Now, some mistakenly think that prophecy is basically the same thing as teaching or preaching, but that is not accurate. Preaching and teaching as it is used in the New Testament is, is, is talking that is based upon a text of Scripture. It is based upon previous written revelation 
from God. So that's what teaching and preaching is. It's dependent upon what has already been written down that's authoritative from God. Prophecy, though, is not based on Scripture. So if somebody were to prophesy, it wouldn't say, I'm going to take John 3.16 and prophesy. That'd be teaching. Prophecy it is not based on Scripture, although true prophetic utterances, can I get an amen, are never in contradiction to the Word of God. Okay, If somebody gets up and starts speaking, thus saith the Word of the Lord, and it contradicts the Bible, we know that that person is speaking falsely. Okay? And I'll talk about that briefly. Prophecy is different than teaching. Prophecy is based upon the Spirit sovereignly and spontaneously revealing something to a believer. Okay? It is not a person coming to a service on this night. You know, I've been studying the Bible. Here, I got something, a word from the Lord for you. That that's not prophecy. Prophecy is a spontaneous revelation that is given to somebody. Prophecy is based upon this revelation from the Spirit of God, and then it is spoken forth in understandable words by the believer in a congregational setting. Now, again, every church, though, is going to have different rules and regulations, and you need to be in submission to the elders and leaders of the local church. And so, you know, I'm not advocating for rogue prophets to get up and just start saying whatever in, in a church. There, there is submission, and there is rules and regulations that Paul lays out. I'm just trying to teach from this, this passage here tonight. So, prophecy, but Paul says, quench not the Spirit. What does he mean by that? He's talking about the supernatural working of the Spirit. Now, this prophecy can contain a lot of different avenues. Okay, There's different uh, uh, topics that prophecy could cover. Sometimes it could be words of encouragement. Sometimes people have the mistaken idea that true prophecy is like, I'm calling out your sins and revealing it in front of all the congregation. Okay, um, That might be possibly, but, you know, if you read the words of, of prophecy uh, of the Word of God, if you study the Word of God, you see that prophecy can be words of encouragement. Prophecy can be words of ministerial direction. Paul, or in Acts chapter 13, the Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called for them to do. Um, prophecy can be words that reveal the secrets of the heart. Okay, so that, that would be a sense in of that prophecy can be words of comfort, okay? So it covers a wide range of, of, of topics, but the, that's the primary meaning. I want you to understand this. That's the primary meaning of Paul when he says, quench not the Spirit. He is saying, do not suppress the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Do not view them as worthless. Do not view them as useless. Do not view them as of no value to stifle the working of the Spirit in any way, and I'll get there, to stifle the work of the Spirit in any way, but especially what Paul is saying here in regard to the supernatural is to disobey the Word of God, okay? So let's just do a little bit of recap because we got plenty of time. Um, Brother Jones gave me an hour. No, I'm kidding. I, I, don't think I, could, I don't think I could teach you an hour on anything. I don't think I'm that knowledgeable about anything. Um, quench not the Spirit. Quench means to put out a fire. Okay, so the spirit is being portrayed in, in, in fire imagery. Okay, and it is possible for this fire to be extinguished in our hearts, the working of the spirit of God. Now, with that understanding of, of 1 Thessalonians 5 19 and 20, let's talk about some like 
questions that arise arise from that. I want to talk about briefly just about a few related issues. So some might say and might protest and say something like, so you're saying any time that somebody gets up and says they're prophesying that we should just accept it or we would be guilty of, of, of despising and quenching the Spirit. That's what you're saying? No, that is not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what Paul is saying either. Allowing the extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit does not mean that we blindly accept everything that happens. Okay? We, we shouldn't just blindly accept it. You'll see right after this passage, okay, Paul says, quench not the Spirit, despise not prophetic utterances or prophesyings. What, what, what he says next? Prove all things. Or another way to say that is to test all things. So just because somebody comes to Broadway Assembly and says, Yea, I have a word for the Lord, from the Lord for this congregation. Brother, blah, 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 blah. That, that doesn't mean we automatically accept it. Okay? We test it. We, we, we prove it. For Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 used the word to judge. He says that when people prophesy, the, the rest is supposed to judge. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back with our arms folded, you know, say, well, the Spirit can't work like that. That's not what we do. But we test it. And how do we test it? Well, we test it according to previous revelation of God. If it does not accord with that, we know it's false. We test it if it's for the common good. Because Paul said prophecy and, and supernatural working of the Spirit is for the common good of people. So if it's tearing people down, okay, if that's just what this prophet is doing, tearing people down, we know that person is not speaking from the Lord. So no, no, just because somebody gets up and, and starts speaking from the Lord, that does not mean we quench the Spirit if we, if we shut them down. Okay, it's false to think that we must blindly accept every supernatural manifestation. Now, we must also be careful that we do not disregard the supernatural ministry of the Spirit because of certain abuses that we've seen. And this is a mistake some other people make, okay? They see somebody get up and just abuse the gifts of the Spirit. Somebody speaking in tongues or giving words of wisdom. And they, 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 they know that's false, and what do they do? They throw the baby out with the bathwater. They throw everything out. And that might be part of the context of Paul's warning here in 1 Thessalonians. Because of the presence of false prophecies and false workings of the Spirit, well, not working of the Spirit, but what presumed to be workings of the Spirit, okay, mixed in with true prophecy and true gifts of the Spirit and true tongues, when they were mixed in, some of the Christians in Thessalonica might have been saying something like, well, just to be safe, let's get rid of it all, okay? Just to be safe. If we don't allow for any prophecies, you solve the problem. Well, not really. You're partly solving the problem, okay? You're getting rid of the false prophecies, but what you're also do is getting rid of the true working of the Spirit that God wants to do in the congregation there. I mean, do you do away with all teachers of the Word just because there's a bad teacher or a false teacher? The answer is not to get rid of all preachers because there's a corrupt one, you know? You don't get rid of all the apples because there's a bad apple. 
Uh, one early preacher, John Chrysostom, or from the early church, said, Do not, because there are false prophets among you, on their account prohibit also these, or don't prevent the good ones, and turn away from them. Okay? So the wrong, there's a couple bad responses. We shouldn't accept everything and just be blindly gullible and naive and just say, you know, well, that must be, that's a man of God, you know, bless God. We don't do that, and neither do we throw everything out, okay, because of some bad ones. We have to be people of discernment. This is why reading the book of Proverbs is actually is good habit, because it teaches us to be people of wisdom, to be people of prudence, to be people that are patient and cautious and not people that are gullible and naive and just accept everything that comes along. Now, some people, moving along to another related issue, some people will quickly condemn cessationists as obvious examples of those who quench the Spirit. Now, that's a big word. You, probably, you might not know what that means, and if I didn't, you know, I wouldn't know what this word means either. A cessationist is a person who believes that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Okay? Now, this is a Pentecostal church. Um, Pentecostal slash charismatic churches believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still being given today. They have been given down from the beginning of, of the church. Okay? Cessationism is the opposite of that. Cessationism doesn't believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued in church history. So that today, there are no genuine experiences of speaking in tongues. There are no genuine experiences of words of knowledge. There are no genuine gifts of miracles and gifts of healings, etc. Okay, so you, um, one popular spokesperson for this, you might have heard his name, John MacArthur. Anybody heard of him? I agree with you know a lot of what he says. I enjoy some of his teaching. And it is possible, by the way, for a person to be a Christian and go into heaven and, and us to disagree about a theological concept. Um, but he wrote a book... Um, many decades ago, called Charismatic Chaos. And in that book, he makes this comment, and I want to to tell you it, just to enlighten you on what cessationists believe. This is his words, quote, from the end of the apostolic era, so that would be from the time the apostles lived and died, so about the end of the first century, from the end of the apostolic era to the beginning of the 20th century, There were no genuine occurrences of the New Testament gift of tongues. They had ceased. Okay, so that's that's his statement. From the end of the apostolic era to the beginning of the 20th century, there were no genuine occurrences of the New Testament gift of tongues. They had ceased. Not only had the gift of tongues ceased, but so had prophecy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I disagree with this. You know, there, if you read church history, there is a long span of time in which the gifts seem to ebb out, but that doesn't mean that was God's will. Just because the gifts might have ceased, that doesn't mean that they should have ceased. There could be other human factors, people not seeking them, etc. But but I'm I'm going to move along. But but basically, if anybody speaks in tongues today, John MacArthur, people similar to that, and again, I'm not bashing. Him, I don't want you to think that tonight because I, I read some of his stuff, but I, I disagree very strongly with this. Um, that's what it believes that there's no genuine occurrences of, of the the gifts of the spirit. Okay, now I think that is an obvious example of quenching the spirit. Okay, if to quench the spirit means okay 
to you know to to suppress to deliberately suppress the working of the spirit in a supernatural way then i think to believe in cessationism to believe that the gifts of the spirit have ceased is to quench the spirit okay in that way in which paul said but we must be careful that we're not hypocritical okay we have to be careful that we're not hypocritical because although and again this is an assumption although uh, I'm, I'm believing that all of us are agreeing similarly. For although we are doctrinally opposed to that belief, what about our daily and weekly practices? Okay? Are we practically cessationist? So we might believe the gifts of the Spirit have continued, but when was the last time we practiced the gifts of the Spirit? Okay? In our lives and in the corporate body of the church. So if we do not regularly experience the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm, I'm talking about tongues, but I'm also including the gifts of, of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and all, and all the gifts, if we're not regularly experiencing them, we probably shouldn't be as harsh on people who believe that they've ceased if in all practicality we are essentially the same. Does that make sense? Okay. So we need to be careful that we're not hypocrites, that we shouldn't quench the Spirit neither by believing in, in, in this false doctrine of cessationism, but also we need to make sure that we're not quenching the Spirit by not being practically cessationist, okay? And, and, uh, and just so to make sure you don't think like I'm indicting anybody in here, this is a challenge to me, okay? Because I want more of the gifts of the Spirit because the way I read Scripture there should be more prophecy and words of wisdom. And, and I don't experience, and I'm just being honest and transparent, I don't experience that a lot. And I wish I, you know, I pray, pray to God because I believe it's biblical to seek the gifts. I don't think we should adopt a mentality of fatalism that says, well, if God wanted me to have that gift, he would give it to me. Paul says to seek earnestly the gifts, to seek earnestly that you may prophesy, okay? So uh, I don't want you thinking this is just, this, this, Lesson, sermon, whatever it is, it means a lot to me because <laughs> I don't want to quench the spirit of my life. Okay, I want the spirit to be burning brightly in my own heart, my life. So I focused on the primary meaning. The primary meaning of Paul in these four words was referring to the the supernatural working of the spirit of God. But as I said, the spirit's work is broad. Okay, it includes other areas. And so we shouldn't limit Paul's command to just the supernatural manifestations. It is possible to put out the fire of the Spirit's work on our life in other ways. And I'll give you one example. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, that we should not grieve the Spirit. Do you remember this verse? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you read the context of Ephesians 4, and I don't have time to do it, but Ephesians 4 has nothing to do with manifestation of the Spirit of God in a supernatural way. Okay, It's not talking about tongues. It's not talking about prophecy. It's not talking about any of that. Okay, But Paul still says it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, studying this week, I just found it interesting. I wanted to mention this, what the word grieve there means. Uh, it, it, the Greek word there means. It means when he's to grieve the spirit, 
One authority, Greek authority said this, to, and this isn't just me coming up with these definitions, by the way. Um, to cause someone to be sad, sorrowful, or distressed. That's interesting. The Spirit of God, you know, I don't know how to think about that, can be saddened, can be sorrowful or distressed over my actions. Another Greek authority says it means to grieve means to cause severe mental or emotional distress, to vex, irritate, offend, or insult. When we reject the work of the Spirit in our hearts, we are offending Him, we are insulting Him, and in some way, we're saddening Him. Okay. Now, in Ephesians 4, Paul has been talking, if you read the passage carefully, Paul, actually not even super carefully, just reading it, uh, Paul has been talking about the old, putting off the old man and putting on the new man. He's been talking about adopting ways of living and putting off other ways of living. He's been talking about getting rid of some attitudes and putting on other, other attitudes, such as Paul says we should stop lying. And we should tell the truth. Um, he talks to those that were stealers. And this was always a tough one for me, stopping my stealing. But just, I'm just being facetious. Um, we should not steal. Okay? We should allow no perverse communication to come from our lips. Okay? Let's apply that. Uh, we should put away in the same passage, Ephesians 4. We should put away. These are tough. Okay? This is hard. We should put away bitterness, anger. Oof, I shouldn't have mentioned that one. Um, for myself, I, I got to work on that. We should be people of kindness. That These are words that Paul used in Ephesians 4. We should be people of forgiveness. Grieving the Spirit in Ephesians is not talking anything about tongues of prophecy but it's not going along with the Spirit in this new life of holy living. Some people like to talk about the word holiness. You know what holiness is? It's that right there. Kindness, forgiveness, bitterness, anger, putting all that, putting all that away. Grieving the Spirit is not cooperating with what He's trying to do in my heart. That's what it means to grieve. It would be resisting that ministry of change, the Spirit's ministry of sanctification, where He's trying to change my old ways to put on the new ways, to put off the old man, to put on the new man, it would be saying, no, I, I, I'm going to resist that, okay? And I think that applies to quenching the Spirit. So we quench the Spirit whenever we suppress the supernatural manifestations of God. Somebody starts speaking in tongues, we immediately, you know, that's not possible today, or He's not of God or, or whatever. Just immediately do that. That's, that's quenching the Spirit. But we can't extinguish the fire of the Spirit in our lives by not carrying out our calling of living as holy people in the eyes of the Lord. When we disregard, listen to me carefully, when we disregard God's admonitions to be pure in our actions, when we disregard what He says about abstaining from evil, when we disregard what he says about resisting the devil or to cleaving to that which is good or drawing closer to him, when we, when we disregard that, okay, when we, when we resist that, we are slowly but surely 
putting out the holy fire of the Spirit in our hearts. Okay? So let's not, as individuals, as a church, let's not quench the Spirit. Man, let's not quench the Spirit by putting out His ministry of the supernatural. I want the supernatural. Okay? I want the supernatural in my life. But I also want to be a sanctified person. A holy person. Okay? And, and, and that's that's a challenge, and, and none of us have have arrived. Just just in case we forgot that, none of us are up here. <laughs> if you have a view of yourself that's way up there, you have yet to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, let's look at just a few implications, and then we'll we'll close. One implication of this, I think, is balance. Okay, we need to have balance in our life. There is a spectrum on any issue, and a lot of times people go to the extremes. So you have people that are extremely charismatic. And again, all of us, by the way, in this room, if you believe in the gifts of the Spirit, you are charismatic, whether you use that term or not. There's a spectrum on any issue, and some of us can be way to the really extreme on this side with speaking in tongues. We don't care as much for for the Spirit's work of sanctification. And I'm praying with a broad brush. I'm not saying anybody here is guilty of this. But then, then some people over here don't, you know, we, we don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued, but we really try to live a good Puritan life. <laughs> There's balance, okay? The Spirit, we should accept everything that the Spirit wants to do in our life, not just the gifts of the Spirit, and not just the, you know, not just the ministry of sanctification, but let's accept it all. Okay, let's have balance in our life. And I think we, we are, we're in a dangerous place when we don't have balance. Whenever you, to, heresy, heretical thinking a lot of times is, is, is the truth taken to too far of an extreme. That's generally what heretical thinking starts. We've got to have balance. We've got to have moderation. Another thing, another implication from this I want you to take away is no gullibility. Okay. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the simple believes every word. There are some people that are, can be easily duped, okay? They flip on the TV, you TV preacher's preaching at them, and send me $50 and God's going to bless your life. All right, I, I send, you know, we shouldn't believe everything that we hear. We can't be people of gullibility and especially in the age in which we live, if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be people that are light and salt in this world and make a true impact around the world but in our communities, we need to make sure we're not people of gullibility. Just because somebody says they're speaking the word of the Lord does not mean that we have to accept it. Uh, another implication, no overreaction. Okay, We shouldn't prevent the supernatural ministry of the Spirit because of bad apples, okay? Because somebody gets a little too excited or, or whatever. And sometimes that just might be people's natural way of worshiping the Lord or whatever. But let's not have an overreaction. Let's not throw everything out just because there might be somebody in the wrong, okay? Finally, we need to have an openness. Katrina, if you come to the piano. We need to have an openness about us that we are aware that God works supernaturally. Amen? Anybody ever seen God work supernaturally in ways that defy science or, or anything? You know, God works supernaturally, and we are open to it and shouldn't view it, as Paul said, despisingly. 
we don't view it as of no value. We don't view it as if it's worthless, but we view it as if it's profitable, and we want to make sure that we don't quench the Spirit in our lives and our hearts. I started reading a book um, yesterday, and uh, you might have heard of him, Francis Chan. Uh, he wrote a book several years ago, Crazy Love. I'm reading a book uh, by him called Forgotten God. Uh, provocative title, just talking about how the Holy Spirit has been forgotten a lot of times in our modern churches, etc. But he made a statement that I found that, it, that I wanted to close with this. I found it was so convicting um, for me, and I hopefully you know, it, it stirs you as well. But he said this, page 37 of his book, I am tired of living in a way that looks exactly like people who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. You know, Christians, we should be different. And I'm not talking about a dress code. I'm talking about true difference. I am tired of living in a way that looks exactly like people who don't have the Holy Spirit of God in them. Okay, there should be a noticeable difference about our lives with the ministry of the supernatural operating in our lives, but also, let's not forget this ministry of sanctification where we're making sure we don't grieve the Spirit of God by maybe our anger, our bitterness, our corrupt, perverse, twisted conversation. And so tonight, uh, I think Brother Jones sometimes allows you to come in and pray, whatever you want to do. But if you would tonight, if not, you know, go about your merry way. Um, I'll be super offended if nobody comes. Just kidding. I, I, I'm not going to get offended. But let's make sure we don't quench the Spirit. Let's make that a prayer. Even if you don't pray it at this altar tonight, pray it on your way home. Pray it tomorrow. Say, Lord, I want the Spirit to be working in my life as you want it. Not as, not as I've settled for the last 20 years, 5 years, 2 years. But God, I want to go along with what you're doing. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. I don't want to quench the Spirit. I want the Spirit to be burning in my heart brightly so that I can affect other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. If that's your prayer, you can come or you can be dismissed. But just have a good, good week. Don't forget Sunday morning services, Sunday services as well, Sunday morning. Hope to see you there, and uh, God bless, and uh, you guys have a good week.